Hi, and thanks for tuning into the Bacon Warrior Podcast. On today's episode, we talked about possible pass for MSU to make the NCAA tournament, recapped the Super Bowl, and we talked a little bit about WandaVision. Brett and I also sat down with author, former MSU basketball player, and motivational speaker, Anthony Ianni. Stay tuned for that. Here's Spartan Dog 97. Thanks, Spartan Dog 97. Uh, Lucas, Brett, I, um, I need to come clean with the both of you. Uh, for a long time, I've been able to keep my identity under wraps. Um, I'm very proud of the lengths I went to to not reveal my true self to you, to you, the listener, and to the wider Twitter world. But um, certain events have, have realized that I can no longer do, do that, and I need to come clean. Um, you know, this is real. This is me. You know, I'm, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And, um, Brett Lucas, this may come as a shock to you, but I am actually Johnny spirit. Um, hold your applause. Just please, you know, I know I'm very well received within the MSU community but I just needed to get that off my chest. I, Spartan Dog 97 am actually MSU Athletic Superfan Johnny Spirit. How was the Super Bowl? It was great. It was great? It was a good time. Um, yeah, I saw you there. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a real fun time. Um, so if you guys have any questions, you're free to ask them now. I will open the floor. Why Why did you feel the need to come out tonight with your identity? Well, you know, like I said, this is real. This is me. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be now. You know, I just got to let the light shine on me. You know, now I know who I am. There's no way to hold it in. Why are you He's the reciting way you lyrics. He's reciting lyrics. <laughs> I am. I'm reciting lyrics from the Camp Rock classic. This is, this is me. Is that a hint at the next Super Bowl show? Uh, perhaps. We'll see. I don't know. Um, she's got to stay clean long enough to be able to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> bubble. <laughs> uh, welcome, uh, welcome to the Bacon Warrior Podcast. Uh, so, congratulations to the legions of Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans. Uh, very 20 to present Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans. Very happy. Um, to Kansas City Chiefs fans, I don't know. Um, good you'll luck. Yeah, you'll be back. There's only one thing I, I see. I got to jump in real quick. I got to say something. Yeah. Chiefs pack. <laughs> <laughs> Chiefs pack. There was a lot of Chiefs pack. Uh, there were a lot of Chiefs packs going up last night. Oh, yeah. And we'll get to all that. But first, we're an MSU podcast. We unfortunately have to talk about MSU basketball. I There is a point on Saturday where I looked up if I could rent the Hague to put up Tom Izzo for war crimes. Because what happened on Saturday 
was not basketball. It was an affront to the sport. There is a certain quote from Dodgeball that I would like to quote right now, but it would not be politically correct for me to do so at this point. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Not that. They looked like a bunch of... Um, they looked like a bunch of individuals trying to hump a doorknob. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous. The video of what we just saw when SD said that made it even better. Yeah. Um, my mom was in the office with me. She just left the room. Unrelated, probably related. If she stuck through the Johnny Spirit bit, she was going to stick through me butchering a dodgeball quote, to be politically correct. But, I mean, it it was it was terrible. I mean, it was the – I've seen – I've seen elementary school rec league games that looked tighter and better, like had a better grasp of the fundamentals of basketball than I saw on Saturday night between Michigan State and Nebraska. It was it was piss poor, piss poor. I think that's being generous by calling it that. It was just like it was it was really bad, and the worst part is is I'm already buying into that if they can win for their next six they're back in the tournament so that doesn't that doesn't help to cause it all i want to work this out with you actually lucas um feel free to you if you have any thoughts on saturday you're more than welcome to share them now but i want to work this out i want to work I, this I out with i didn't Brent. watch so go ahead so msu basketball has six games left starting they need to win four so well, the, I, the illinois game just got rescheduled so i think there's seven now so you're saying they need to win I think, well, yeah, out sorry, uh, yeah, I've heard 13 is the magic number. Personally, I think it's 14, but that's 14. not counting the Big Ten tournament, which they could potentially get a boost win in there. But I, it's going to kind of be like what, 2017 or uh, with Miles' fresh, freshman year. But yeah, they got to win at least four. So here. Here are MSU's final um, eight games. Uh, they have Penn State tomorrow, mm-hmm. Iowa, Iowa on Saturday. Um, thank you for coming on the pod, Lucy. I want to say win, but I don't think so. Uh, and then I believe, and then we go to Mackey next yep. Tuesday, L. Um, Assembly Hall next Saturday, L. Ohio State at home. Ohio State at home, Maryland in College Park, and Michigan at home. That's how we end the season. And then somewhere in between, I believe on the 26th, we would play Illinois at home. Or we would play February 23rd. Illinois got rescheduled to February 23rd. Yeah. And it's at the Breslin? And it would be at Breslin. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of work through my logic here. I, I do think we're gonna beat Penn State tomorrow. Um, yeah. they're just having a really bad year. There's a lot of situ- uh, circumstances that led to them being poor. Um, so I'm gonna mark that one as a win. Iowa at home. I think that's that's gonna be the key. I think based off of the way we played, we should have beat them in Iowa City last week. I I, I think that we were the better team for 
90% of that game. Um, but we'll see what happens. I, I put that one as a toss-up. I, I that Obviously, any game can go either way, but I truly think that that one probably leans more towards Iowa. Um, so just for the sake of this, I'll mark it as an L. I think we split against Purdue and Indiana. So let's just, for the sake of it, we're, we're not winning at Mackey. So let me just mark that one as a, a loss. Indiana's a win. Um, so that's, we got to find two more wins out of Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan, and Illinois. Two top think, five teams. Yeah, I think the best chance is obviously I think Maryland is yeah. going to be one of those. And then honestly, without bias, I do think that that Michigan game is it's going to be a home game for us. I think that that's the one just based off of how many games Michigan has to play in such a uh, short span. So I think that would be our, our next best shot. Right. I'm with you. Michigan yeah. back. I can see the angle, but if they um, if they lose tomorrow, it's all up in smoke. It's all over. It's over. It is over. Yeah, it's done. Unless, so, they, unless they beat Illinois, um, Iowa, Ohio State, and Michigan. Or three I mean, of the four, rather. Yeah. I mean, really, every game, every game's a every game is a loser is a loser leaves town game from here on out for Michigan State. I mean, it's if they lose, if they if they lose if they lose tomorrow, it's over. And from here on out, they can only lose one more game out of the next out of the next seven. So maybe two. Depending on how they depending on how they play in the Big Ten tournament, but I just I don't see it from this team because I don't see a team that's motivated to win. I don't see like I know it's pointless to compare this season to seasons in the past, right? Because there is no comparison to seasons in the past. Uh, MSU didn't have a basketball team in 1918, so we don't know what MSU basketball is like the last time they had a pandemic. So it's the biggest problem, I think, for this team, and it's something I think I've said since the beginning, is that there's no leadership. No one has established themselves as the guy. And when you look at the great Michigan State, even the mid-Michigan State teams, right? Like, Lucas, you compared this to 2017. The 2017 team had a guy. They had fire. They had the fire. Yeah. and I not good enough. No, I just don't see this team having – they don't – they don't have the fire. I think they have a little bit of the, like they don't, they're not as talented as the 2017 team and they don't have the motivation of the 2017 team. So it's no. kind of a perfect shit storm right now. And I think Izzo's kind of a, kind of at his wits end a bit because he doesn't know what the fuck to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously we've seen some, positives out of this team like obviously the duke game duke's not very good but still you go into cameron indoor and you just absolutely spank them um they look good against iowa i know we're not really in the business of taking moral victories but i mean if they play like they did a combination of both those games i think they have a shot to get in and then once you get in the tournament obviously anything can happen uh 
they're not winning a championship, but I do think they could win a game or two uh, if they somehow made the the tournament. Just based off, I mean, the Big Ten, it, it's really tough to win games, and there's a lot of teams that we'd play in the tournament that aren't necessarily Big Ten standards. So uh, as long as you avoid those the two monsters at the top and Baylor and Gonzaga, um, that's that's going to be the death blow to any team. I mean, the tournament, like, from what I've seen, I, I've luckily been able to watch a lot of college basketball this year. And based off of what we've seen from Baylor and Gonzaga, everybody else is playing for kind of like third place here. It's just those teams are on such a different level of just excellence. It's they should just I think somebody proposed on Twitter. They just do a best, uh, best uh, four out of seven series between those two. And I would sign up for that all day. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the goal is to get into the tournament, right? I, because yeah, once I, you... I thought of 2016, 17, just be. No, go ahead, go ahead. Once you get into the tournament, anything can happen, right? You can, if you get a favorable seating, which, you know, Michigan State being the only, I'm going to say it, blue blood in the, who, who like might make the tournament. You're gonna get a fa- you're gonna get a favorable seed line. So I can see a scenario where MSU goes to the Sweet 16 this year just because they, just because they got the weakest they got like the weakest uh, six seed, and then they got like a weak four seed or whoever they would play after that. Yeah, kind of like 20 was it 2015 when we had that miracle Final Four run where yeah. We kind of back. I mean, we kind of sucked in the tournament based up what we did in the Big Ten tournament, and then obviously got a super favorable seating matchup, um, and able were able to capitalize off that. And I mean, you get. I mean, you just get one player that gets super hot, and I mean, anything is like anything is possible. I mean, we've seen it so many times. I mean, once again, we're not saying that this team's going to win a championship because they're not, but there is there is enough talent potential that if they get hot in the right stretch, that they could win. They could make a Sweet Sixteen. Which, for how shitty this season has been, would be a incredible victory, just an unbelievable victory. Yeah, yeah. we're not hanging a Battle for Atlantis banner, but uh, maybe we'll dedicate a brick to making the tournament at the new Scandalera Center. <laughs> I I don't have anything to say. It's just. If if this is if we go through this pain and you know certain things happen in the you know in the spring and summer certain players reclassify and certain players get processed. Thomas Kithier, I'm I'm done I'm done beating around the bush. Thomas Kithier is. I I really don't like ragging on college kids because look, they're just out there doing their. He's he's trying his hardest, but his hardest isn't good enough for MSU basketball. I'm. I'm not sorry to say that because Jane blocked me on Twitter, but like <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> I, I don't know why he keeps playing. And I, I look, I get, I get people saying he does, he's in the right spot at certain times. And I, I see it, but just because you're in the right spot doesn't mean you're going to do the right thing. Like he can get in the right spot defensively. Like his freshman year, he had a couple decent, like again, in the, the first Michigan game, you know, 2018 and 2019, he, he did okay. You know, like he's had some memorable moments, but like, I don't get now they're, they're nine and seven. 
They're clearly not going to win the Big Ten. It's time to – if I were Rizzo, I'd just start all the young guys. Like, I would I would put Holgert out there, <clears throat> put him out there more with Rocket, um, mix in Foster. But, you know, Foster, if he can't shoot threes, then what is he good for? Absolutely nothing. Sing it with me. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. Lucas, you mentioned how you were blocked by a certain odd – uh, Tiger mom from the team, and she apparently I'm blocked too. I've never even tweeted at her. So. <laughs> blocked by you're guilty by association. Let's see. Well, I'm not. I'm proud of that one. <laughs> well, it's the first productive thing that family's done all all season. So, and I, you know what, I, if we have to go through this pain to have a lot of things conspire in our way, uh, you know, May, June, July, August. I'm all for it. Like I said, everything everything good comes to an end. You know, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. And I don't think Izzo missing the first tournament in what twenty three years is going to be literally literally my lifetime. I'm I just turned twenty four. Yeah. Literally my lifetime. Like this would yeah. be the first time I'm missing miss basketball in my life. Like that's not a stain on his legacy. Like people remember when they lost to UConn, they were going, "Oh my God!" The the whole thing of every four-year player under Izzo has made a Final Four is gone. It's like, yeah, so what? Shit happens. You run into a buzzsaw. You know, I think we're due to be a buzzsaw one year. Like, I, I just want to have that team that has one or two losses and just has a dynamic point guard and dynamic players, you know. Um, if, if, it's, if we're going through this pain right now to let it pay off later, let it happen. We were more than due. I'm not trying to be uh, Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to – I'm just trying to say, you know, we have it really good. And if it's one bad season, hey, it's one bad season. I'm over yeah, it. And, yeah, I mean, if you, if, when you look around college basketball, there's like every other blue blood, they're going to miss the tournament as well. Kentucky's so, I mean, what is it? asshole too. Yeah, I mean, what does that, what does that kind of say? I mean, I'm not going to call this a fake season, but I definitely think in a normal circumstances where fans are in attendance – Michigan State has a much better record. Yep. Like, it takes away all the home court. Like, Breslin is probably one of, what, four or five best home advantages in all of college basketball. So, you take that away, and, I mean, it just evens the playing field. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, I the boat was bound to find its level eventually. Yeah. And, you know, there's no question Izzo mismanaged this team. No question. It's um, not good. No, this 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 is probably his worst coaching job in his career at MSU. And I think when the dust settles on the season, he's gonna tell he's gonna tell people that. You know, he really pulls punches even with himself. Yeah. So he knows he knows he's fucked up this year. He knows. The the book that he's gonna have written like by either Graham Couch or Jack Ebling after he retires is gonna be fucking awesome. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Yeah, and I just, you know, we'll uh We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, update on Jane. I personally, Spartan Dog 97, am not blocked. But Bacon Wire is blocked, which would make sense because I, oh. do, the major- I do the majority of my tweeting from Bacon Wire. Oh, yeah. I regarding MSU basketball. So that makes a lot of sense. One of us plops in once in a while with observation on good old number uh, 15. Yeah, with good old 15. Um <laughs> Awesome. Um, so 
that's our thoughts on MSU basketball. There's really nothing more to say. Uh, you know, on on the flip side, we're gonna. Ah, <laughs> uh, you assholes. Uh, on the flip side, uh, we'll talk Super Bowl. Uh, Brett, are you, Brett started Wandavision. We'll get his thoughts on that. Uh, but you know, Brett and I were lucky enough to sit down with Anthony Annie. Um, it was a wonderful interview. Um, Anthony's a great guy. Um, you know, we've kind of been circling it for a while and in the words of my internet dad, it was an absolute blast. (laughs) Uh, we talked about his forthcoming book centered his career at MSU, uh, living with autism, his, his coaching career. And, you know, we talked a little bit MSU basketball. So it was a great interview. Stay tuned for that. And we'll be back to talk the Super Bowl and WandaVision. Okay, we now welcome on a very special guest. He is a former player for MSU basketball and a current coach and now author, Anthony Iani. Anthony, how are you doing? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So uh, first things first, I wanted to ask you about your, about your book, Centered. Um, you know, how did you, how did that, how did all that come about? How did, were you approached? Did you write it on your own and someone, someone picked it up? So, so long story short. So the idea of me writing a book kind of came up seven years ago when I was out traveling, doing uh, presentations in middle schools. I had a lot of administrators, administrators come up to me and say, Hey, have you written a book at all? And I was like, well, no. And they're like, you really should, because it could really kind of take your career to the next level and could open up doors that you thought you could never open. And so, and then I met with a couple of people um, about what I could do. And so, um, so I got a co-author to help me write it. And, um, and Rob Keast, who I hope this makes sense. He's my resource room teacher's husband's cousin. So it's my resource room teacher's husband. It's his cousin. So, so there's a bit of a connection there. Um, so we got together about a little over two and a half years ago. Um, we sat down, did about five interviews. Um, he, and then we, and then we started writing it out Then we sent it out to different uh, literary agencies We signed with the agent in two, in the summer of 2019. And then we sent everything out to publishers and then we signed with IU Press uh, this past uh, June. So, so it was just amazing just how it all came together. You know, it first started off as just simple talk, but then once we started really working on it and start getting in the process of the whole thing, it was both nerve wracking because I kept checking my phone every half hour, you know, to see if anybody responded to like our, our proposals or anything. And then finally my wife was, she just had it. She was like, Hey, look, it's going to happen. Like trust the process. And you know, one of my former teammates at Grand Valley State, Mike Brisdell, you know, told me, you know, you can't rush greatness when it comes to something like this. You know, if something's going to turn out great, you can't rush it. So so just all the advice I had from everybody doing this, I mean, you know, that support really helped me get through a lot. But, you know, I'm excited for the book to come out. I'm, I'm excited for everybody to read it because now everybody in Spartan Nation and beyond finally gets to hear, you know, the day I was diagnosed to where I'm at you know, now it's a motivational speaker and why I left Grand Valley State, because there's a lot of folks out there in Spartan Nation who think that, you know, I left Grand Valley State because I couldn't hack it. Well, no, that's not true. You know, there's other reasons as to why I left Grand Valley State, and those are definitely in the book. Um, but in just my journey through Michigan State, so I'm really excited for everybody to uh, to read it. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I think your your journey is, is definitely um, an interesting one. I kind of want to go back you know, kind of when you were, when you were diagnosed with, 
with autism? Like, did, was there any, did you have any like inkling that something maybe that something may have been, I, I don't want to, I don't want to use like ableist language here. Is there something that like maybe have clued you into that fact to where, when you were, when you got that diagnosis, you, you kind of looked back and you were like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't really remember too much of it as a kid, but right around when I was about three years old, you know, if my mom gave me an instruction, if she told me to go put the toys away in the toy room, instead of putting the toys away, I get more toys out. And then, you know, then she would say to me, you know, go pick out a red shirt from your closet to wear today. I would come back with a completely whole different attire. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be a red shirt, it'd be something else. Um, so that's when my mom kind of noticed, okay, you know, something's really off here. We should probably get them looked at, get them checked out. And so the initial diagnosis was, <clears throat> excuse me, was ADD. And my mom at the time coached volleyball at Ohio University. She was like, no, like I coach volleyball players who have ADD. Like I know what ADD is and this is not it. And so, and then when they took me um, through more testing at the Children's Hospital in Columbus, because I was born in Athens, Ohio, lived there for four years before we moved to East Lansing. Um, so we got the second diagnosis and the doctor said, you know, we see a child with pervasive developmental disorder, um, which is on the autism spectrum. And at that time, guys, that was a time period where nobody knew what autism was. You know, nobody really knew a lot of the characteristics for it. During that time, there was zero awareness for it and no path or guidance or resources to help individuals with autism, you know, to get the services they needed to help be successful and get the right treatments when it comes to like learning language and vocabulary. Um, so my parents at the time didn't know what to do. And so, and then that's when, you know, when I had my first IEP meeting in kindergarten, this is when doctors and professionals said, well, we see a child who has autism. So that means, you know, he's very, probably barely gonna graduate from high school. You know, he's never gonna attend a college or university in this country. You know, we understand you come from a family athletes, you know, he's not gonna be an athlete. And there are group institutions for other individuals like himself that you know, he can be in one day. And that's when, you know, my parents, my dad kind of stood up in that meeting and said, like, look, like, I, I respect what you do. You know, I respect what you're trying to say to us, but here's the deal. Our expectations are this. Anthony's going to graduate from high school. Then he's going to go to college. He's going to graduate. And he doesn't have to be an athlete to do all this. Like, if the good Lord wants to bless our son with those gifts, great, cool. But right now, he's going to do all those things. And you're going to watch him do it. So, but my parents didn't have a path during that time. But it wasn't until a couple of administrators in Okemos got on board with them and said, hey, we're going to make this happen. And so we're going to find a way. And so they all teamed up together, came together and found out different ways for me to help be successful in school. So, you know, so it started off from a, you know, this doesn't look right type of deal to, all right, let's team up and let's try and find a way to make Anthony, you know, the best he can be as a student. Yeah. And I think, I think how we understand autism has come a long way since you were a kid too. Like, you know, now, now it's identified as a spectrum disorder, right? Where, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's a whole variety, you know, I know one of my friends growing up, his brother was autistic and he happened to be on the more extreme end of the spectrum where he was nonverbal for a lot of his life. <laughs> and he got better as right. he went along. He got good enough to where he's an older brother. He got like good enough to where he was able to buy us beer. <laughs> So I have, um, so I have two younger nieces. So, um, so it's my sister's kids. They're twins. 
So about a little over a year and a half ago, they were both diagnosed because they were very nonverbal. They weren't interacting with them or interacting with anybody, I should say. And so I immediately sent my sister, my connections with those in the autism field, like, you know, reach out to these people. They will get us started and see where we go from here. My mom, meanwhile, was all cool and calm. Like, ah, eh, well, you know, we know the drill. Like we've, we've done this before. We're going to make it through. And so now one of my nieces just continues nonstop talking and interacting with people, which is amazing. And then my other niece who was nonverbal, she's starting to say little words at a time. And she's starting to point out to things, you know, I want this, I want that. Sure. At times, like she'll take her iPad and just go be in the corner by herself. Cause that's just who she is. But the fact that she didn't say a word and now she can say up to like 10, 15 words now is incredible. And so, but that's also a big testament to, um, to the folks who do all these trainings and all these treatments and, and therapies with these kids. And like I said, during the nineties, we didn't have that, you know, for individuals with autism. And, and another quick story I want to tell you. So about eight years ago, after I graduated, you know, I had a, I had a sit down chat with coach Izzo and, and he was just telling me about how, you know, there was a next door, one of his neighbors has a, has a young man with autism, but he's very, very low on the spectrum and he'll have to be helped for the rest of his life. But coach Izzo said what, impressed him the most is how great of a painter that this young man is and, you know he's so really good at it to where he has a lot of his paintings are in the East Lansing Art Museum almost every single year and I said to coach is I said coach I said that's the problem I said society doesn't give us a chance like we are really talented individuals no matter where we're at on the spectrum but society doesn't want to give us that opportunity because they just see the word autism and go oh well they're at, they have autism that's it but that's where I took it upon myself to go, you know what, I'm going to go out here and show folks all over the country and the world that you can do things and more in life, despite having autism, because autism doesn't define you, like you define it. So just having those conversations with him and just other families and advocates I've talked to, it, it's just been amazing, like just to see where the autism community is at today, as a whole. I mean, but there's still more work to be done. I know talking to a lot of people, you know, we, we love the awareness, but I think it's to the point now where the community wants more acceptance than anything. I think that's what they want from society more than anything is just acceptance and keep building on the awareness from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you bring up Coach Izzo, and of course, we want to talk to you about your time at MSU. It's what we do here. Uh, when you were when you were going through the process of of trying to play college basketball, when did when did the opportunity to go to MSU present itself to you? So right after I made the decision to uh, transfer from Grand Valley State. Um, so it was around, just around the time they went to the Final Four in 2009 in Detroit. Um, after I announced that, I, I didn't really announce it, but after I told people that I was leaving, you know, word of mouth started to trickle out to other, you know, Eastern Michigan, Central um you know, Hope College, Adrian College, just the other schools in Michigan that I was leaving. And, you know, I was getting phone calls from some of those schools saying they were interested. I had Spring Arbor University actually offer me a full ride offer, a full ride scholarship outside of Ford Field at the final four. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Um, but even after, you know, I said I was leaving Grand Valley State, you know, from day one as a kid, it was always Michigan State. And, you know, I remember coaches, oh, the day I committed to Grand Valley State, you know, he, we had met and because I, I wanted to be at Michigan state from day one. And, you know, he gave me, he gave me some really good advice, you know, cause he had told me that, all right, you got a, you got a full ride scholarship for grand Valley state and you, and you have a preferred walk on offer from us. 
He's like, I'm going to tell you right now, take, take, take the full ride offer. He's like, you, you'd be crazy not to take it because it's free schools, free tuition, books, food, all that stuff. He's like, you're going to be taken care of for four years. You don't have to worry about anything. He said, if you come here, you know, I can't promise you you're going to get a scholarship in two years. I can't promise you that. But, you know, this, if I were you, this is what I would do. And, he, and then he find, and then the last thing he said to me was, but here's the deal. Just know that if things don't work out, you have a jersey and a locker here waiting for you if you want it. So he always kept that offer on the table. And so when I, when I decided to leave Grand Valley State, I was like, you know what? That offer's still there. Like, I'll take it. But I'm going to assure Coach Izzo that I'm not just coming here because I'm Greg Ianni's kid. You know, because my dad was the deputy athletic director at the time. I'm not coming here just because my dad's here. Like, I'm coming here to prove to a lot of people that, hey, I belong on this team. I can play with this team. I don't care if I get one minute, 30 seconds, or no minutes at all. Like, I'm going to show people that, hey, I'm going to make an impact in this program, whether it's in practice or going crazy on the bench. Like, I don't care. Because me being a Michigan State Spartan meant that much to me. I mean, running out of that tunnel with that jersey on, coming out to the fight song, that meant more to me than anything in the world. And, you know, whenever I have kids ask me in schools, what were my stats? I tell them, I say, you know what? I barely had any stats. But you know what? I got two Big Ten championship rings out of it. I went to a Final Four. And more importantly, I got my degree. I said, the, I said those are the best stats that anybody could ever ask going to Michigan State. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I kind of wanted uh, when, like, uh, like, do you remember the first time Coach Izzo yelled at you? I asked, we've interviewed a couple <laughs> forward players <laughs> this question. Like, do you, you know, it's kind of like a, everybody remembers their first. Do you remember when oh, Izzo yeah. first got, first got in your ass a little bit? <laughs> I, I do remember. So we were in, um, it was preseason practices when we were only allowed to do two practices a week, only for an hour, hour and a half or whatever it was. And I remember we were doing our five on five um, full court um, transition drill and I got the ball from the top of the key and I was sent and I, and I did this to like Raymar Morgan or to like Darrell Summers at the time. So I did this to have him go back door. They didn't go back door. So I threw the ball right into the stands <laughs> and coach Izzo just ripped me a new one. And so then the, the, as the drill was starting over, we had to walk back to the other end of the court and this was on ESPN um, All Access at the time. They caught a glimpse of him ripping me <laughs> on ESPN. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. Like, this is my first week in practice. Like, and it's going to be on ESPN. But that, that moment right there reminded me of how intense he, he is as a coach. But it also showed me that, number one, he wants you to be better and perfect as a player. And he's going to get on you no matter what. And so – so whenever he yelled at me, you know, I was just like, all right, I got you, you know, but what I loved about coach is, is that he gets on you about things, but then two, like 30 seconds later, he's patting you on the back. You know, that's the type of coach he is because, you know, I've always told, you know, some of the players that I coach at Livonia Churchill high school for girls basketball, if a coach isn't talking to you, there's a problem. If he's getting on you, you're doing something right. It mean, or he's doing something right for you. It means he cares. And so, so whenever Coach Izzo got on anybody in practice, you know, whenever he got on me, I always had to remind myself, hey, you know, it means he cares. He wants you to be better. He wants you to be a good player. You know, you mentioned your your accolades and the team's accolades when you were there. You went to a Final Four. You won two Big Ten championships. How does a team like that manage that level of success when they're, you know, when they're at the highest levels of college basketball? Like, how do they – 
how do they handle that? So obviously, you know, dedication is number one, you know, when it comes to that, because, you know, when it comes to winning big 10 championships, I mean, you have to be really dedicated to your goals and your, and your aspirations as a team in Michigan state. And you have to have great locker room camaraderie too, because it's a long season. It's a grueling season. And if you have a locker room, that's just really toxic or chaotic, you know, you're not going to get through those seasons. You know, you're, you're going to get to the point halfway where you're just like, Oh, I'm done. Like, I don't want to be here. But the locker rooms we had at Michigan state, the years we won the big 10 championships, they're phenomenal. I mean, my, my senior year, I mean, the locker room chemistry we had my senior year in 2012 was maybe the best team I've been on that had that great of a chemistry since my junior year of high school in Oklahoma. I mean, we just did everything together. We would go to, intramural championship games because our managers would play in the IM leagues at, at IM West. We would all go and support them. We would go to movies at NCG cinema. We would go out for dinner. Like we were always around each other because, you know, myself, day uh, day, Austin Thorne and Brandon Wood, we wanted to make sure that as seniors, that we would make sure that we would all stick together no matter what. And we would all have some type of leadership in uh, some type of le- type of leadership role during that time. And so, but just making sure that we all stick together and, the tough, the tough part being in Michigan State, too, is once you're on Christmas break, it's two-a-day practices after that because the NCAA doesn't give you limits to how long you can practice for over Christmas. So those two-a-day practices are rough, but then you also got to make sure that guys are staying like focused, that guys are staying upbeat despite those long practices all the time. And so, so just making sure you have that dedication, not just to the program in the season, but to each other. You know, it really, really goes a long way to how far not only you want to go in the Big Ten season, but how far you want to go when it comes to March. When does the team kind of realize what your potential is? Because you came in during that 2010 season and they, they made the Final Four. When when did you guys realize, like, hey, we we have something here? Um, I think, like, probably, like, five games into the season. Um, I know my senior year, I mean, we played Duke in – North Carolina back-to-back games. I mean, that's just right there. That just shows crazy Coach Izzo is when it comes to scheduling, playing the number one team and then the number five team in the country back-to-back. Um, but even then, when we started off 0-2, I remember Coach Izzo coming in the locker room at halftime or at the end of the Duke game my senior year and going, you know what, you know, these are tough losses, but you guys learn from this. So let's keep building on it. Let's keep getting better from it. And then we, we, we won 15 in a row after that. I think right after – we had beaten Wisconsin on the road in January. Um, that was when um, it was when they hit that, that buzzer beater shot to tie us at the buzzer, but he didn't get it off in time because the scoreboard clock said 0.2. He got it off, but then the main scoreboard on the court said he didn't. And Bo Ryan just lost his mind, <laughs> <laughs> just lost his mind. And we're going nuts in the court. But right after that game, beating Wisconsin, in, in, in the Cole Center, in front of all those people, that, that's when we all realized after that game, hey, we, we really got something here. Like, we're, we, we beat Gonzaga, who hardly loses a game there. We win there, and now, we're, now we just beat Wisconsin, who hardly loses at home. I think, I think we got something going here. Let's keep building off it and see where it goes. And, and actually, believe it or not, you know, Wale, the rapper, he actually was in town before we had left for Wisconsin and they were playing him and his crew were playing in our auxiliary gym, just playing pickup games. He 
he came and talked to us after our practice and he said, go be legendary. And I think right after that speech from Wale, that was kind of the whole, all right, let's go out, be legendary because nobody's expecting us to do anything this year, you know, because we lost so much last year. We didn't have a good year the previous year. So let's go out, be legendary and see what we can do. So right when you beat a good team, like a Gonzaga or like a Wisconsin, like we did that year, that's when we knew, all right, I think we got something here. Let's keep building off of it and let's just see what happens. And, and to that point, you know, you're, you're a former player, you coach yourself. Um, no bones about it. The team has struggled this year. Um, you know, what do you, what do you make of the teams like on the court performance that you see as, as areas of concern for, for what's going, for what's going on? So for me personally, it's two things. Number one is consistency. Like you don't see a lot of consistency on the court right now, especially when it comes to offense. Cause you know, watching the Ohio state game, I felt like that instead of pushing the ball in transition, trying to go to the hole, we would just kick it to the wing. And then somebody's jacking up a three point shot or a, or a 20 foot, you know, two pointer. And I'm like, you know, that's not our style of ball. Like we get up, run and go because that that's always been our main thing the last three years with cash is at point guard, get the ball and just go. And then our bigs are running down the middle for a wide open layup. Um, I haven't seen that a whole lot in the last, in the last month. Now, granted, I know we've been on, you know, a 20, you know, 20 day lockdown, whatever it was they had with COVID and, but there's not enough consistency and not having, you know, that post presence, that, that Xavier Tillman like presence, that Nick Ward presence. And even Jaron Jackson, I know Jaron wasn't a, wasn't a post player. He was more of a power forward, but I mean, Jaron's almost seven feet tall with a, with a very, with a very long wingspan. Like just having that presence to alternate shots in the post or alternate jump shots at the key, I mean, it's a big deal. And so not having that presence, I think, has really hurt us a lot. And obviously the point guard spot has been, you know, put it this way, it's like football. You know, my dad and I talk about this all the time. You can't be a good college football team with a below average quarterback. If you have an average quarterback or better, you're going to be a good team. You know, chances are you're going to be a good team. You know, it's the same thing with basketball. If you have a below average point guard or you have somebody who's never played point guard in their life, you're going to struggle. You're really going to struggle. But if you have a good point guard or a really great point guard, you're going to be a very good team. And so, so I know it's a bit of a struggle this year. And, and you guys know this too. It's just been such a weird year too. I mean, just everything that's going on with COVID-19. I mean, Duke's seven and six right now. They may not make the tournament. Kentucky, Kentucky's five and 11. North Carolina's, you know, they got a good record, but is it good enough to make the tournament? I mean, think about that, guys. Four of the top blue bloods in college basketball not making the tournament in one year. I mean, that's that's unheard of. That's unheard of. And so, and, and who knows what will happen with the tournament? Who knows if that'll happen? I mean, I joke about this with my buddies. I said, you watch, a 16 C is going to make the final four because every team they play somehow tested positive for COVID the day before they play. Like, that's how crazy it's going to be. So, but, you know, the future is bright you know, for Michigan State basketball, especially next year, you know, if Amani Bates ends up deciding to come to town next year. And then, you know, and then we got some really good freshmen coming in with um, Brooks, Aikens, and Christie. Like, it's going to be a fun year. And so, but I think right now, you know, if Michigan State finds finds a little bit of consistency, you know, they got a chance. But, and the, the schedule they got right now is super tough. You know, they, they would have to go at least seven and two to at least have a shot at making the tournament, you know, when it's all said and done. Yeah, I yeah, think it, it, go ahead. I'm right. sorry, go ahead. No. Yeah, it, it, we always kind of talk like um, it, it kind of felt like that game on Christmas Day against Wisconsin. It's kind of a turning point for this team because it, it reminds me of the 
first year that uh, Miles Bridges, Cassius, Nick Ward, Josh Langford were here, when they, they went out big against Arizona, I think they were playing in Germany. And then they lose that game, and then they kind of snowballed from there a little bit. Um, it kind of feels that way with the Wisconsin game where they probably should have won that game, and mm-hmm. then afterwards they lose a couple more. But if knowing Coach Izzo and knowing this program, what what do you kind of expect? I, I know it's a weird year, but what what are your expectations for uh, tonight's game against Iowa and then the rest of the Big Ten slate? I think for me, you know, I think my expectations is you got to compete. You know, you have to compete. And obviously the Rutgers game, I get that was them coming off, you know, COVID, you know, the COVID, you know, lockdown, whatever for them. But for whatever reason, that second half, it just looked like guys didn't want to compete. Like, I'm not trying to, like, be disrespectful or anything, but, like, you know, you got to compete no matter what. You have to. And so the Iowa game is going to be interesting because I know that, you know, if you take Luca Garza out of the equation, you know, Iowa's, Iowa's an okay team. They're not a great team. They're just okay. So if you sh- if you shut down Garza and just let Iowa try to beat you from the three, you got a pretty good chance. But at the same time, we got to have shots fall on our end, and we can't turn the ball over as much. And I think moving forward, and I think this is why part of me, you know, part of me, you know, in my heart goes, you know what? It's Coach Izzo. This is a, this is his time of year where he shines. You know, it's his time to shine right now. And so, and I think he knows that too, and the coaching staff knows that. You know, and I think those players know what's on the line right now. And so I'm excited to see how they come out tonight against Iowa and how they perform from here on out. Because, again, you know, they got the schedule's not going to be easy. I mean, they got a lot of tough games coming up. I mean, they're going to play a team like Penn State who just beat Wisconsin not long ago. I mean, these games aren't going to get easy, but we're going to see what kind of Michigan State team comes out here in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, I'm, at the same time, I'm excited to see what happens. But also at the same time, I'm a little nervous, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, Anthony, we want to thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time. Uh, when does your book come out? So Center comes out September 7th in 2021, so this fall. Okay, excellent. And uh, one final question for you before we let you go here. Uh, sure. When you, were, when you were at Michigan State, who did the best Coach Izzo impression? Oh no. <laughs> oh man. I, I, I got three in mind. So I'll go top three here. So number three would be Austin Thornton. Austin's impression of coach is, was awesome. Still is to this day. Number two was Russell bird. I thought Russ always did a good one. And my sleeper pick number one was Alex Ghana. Alex Ghana did an incredible impression of coach is. And it, it was just awesome, man. And I know Coach Izzo's heard some of it itself, so, but I, I think that's that's the other great thing about our program, too, guys, is that you got to have some laughs from time to time. You got to be able to laugh. You got to be able to laugh with each other and, and at each other sometimes. So um, it, it definitely that's why Michigan State is family, because, you know, we are literally like a family of brothers. We joke with each other. We have fun with each other. So but th- that would be my top three as far as who gives the best coaches on impressions. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Centered this fall. Go grab it. Uh, Go green. Go white, guys. Excellent. Thanks to Anthony. A lot of fun. Uh, We'll be sure. We'll have him back on. Great guy. Friend of Bacon Wire. Love to hear from him. So let's talk the Super Bowl, shall we? Um, Yes, please. Not going to pull any punches. That was probably one of the worst Super Bowls I've watched in a while. It was it was very sloppy on both accounts. It wasn't very fun. I had fun. 
I I know you had fun, Brad. I had fun too. I won two hundred and seventy-five dollars on the. I won ninety bucks. Yeah. So all my player, all my player props busted. Uh, Fournette and Gronk, I had scoring, and uh, those I thought Evans was going to score. I thought he was going to catch a bomb. He was two yards away from winning me like sixty bucks on the longest play. I had Evans and Bray parlayed to score. Oof. And then I had that offensive lineman touchdown prop. I know I did too. I oh. was in, I was in, I was in uh, Spain without the S man. <laughs> Just absolute. I couldn't believe it. No one was going to get closer than that. I was fucking so pissed. Yeah. When he, when it, when it went off his fingertips, I'm like, okay, that's done. <laughs> There's more. Yeah, yeah. He Hawkinson the ball. <laughs> Eric E. Drop. <laughs> My the big the most shocking statistic from the Super Bowl was how much Tampa Bay rushed or pressured Mahomes thirty eight times. Fifty two percent. That is unbelievable. And the Chiefs only did it five times to Brady. And I think they got like I think they got a sack on the opening drive, and I think that was about it. Um that's just jarring. Like that whole line was just ate them alive. And I mean, I, I'm one of the people who I don't think it's really a bad look on Mahomes' legacy because Mahomes was trying everything to win that game. He couldn't do it all. They were double teaming Tyreek Hill, and Kelsey didn't get going until the second half when it was over. It, it just seemed like he was trying so hard to win it. And he's just sitting there like, what the fuck is everyone else doing? When he just he just looked like a deer in the headlights, like it was he knew it was over. Yeah, it was it was very jarring. Um, yeah, you know I think I think having both your tackles out hurt a little bit. Uh, they were obviously wiped out on the depth on the offensive line, and that contributed to so much of 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 Mahomes being rushed and hurried and. Like you said, Lucas, I mean, 52% of the times he dropped back, he was pressured. That's that's unheard of. For I him, mean, especially for, uh, like, a, the next dynasty type of quarterback. Like, someone like him, you just – you expect that like a blowout when it's like, you know, Chiefs versus uh, Jaguars or something. But, like, not the Super Bowl. You don't expect that. Right. It's it's ridiculous. Um. But you know, the the Bucks deserved it. I mean, they played as bad of a perfect as a game as you can play. Um, it was, you know, it was a master class on defense. And you yeah, know, I, like, no, go ahead, Brad. No, even like looking at Gronk. I mean, that was like vintage Gronk. And one one thing I saw last night, I, I didn't fact check it, so this may be fake news, but. Travis Kelsey and Gronk are the same age, which doesn't seem like it's true at all, but apparently it is. And I mean, oh. both of those guys, they were just, I mean, Gronk is just, he's unbelievable. It just, I, it, it, you almost had a loss for words just based off of what Tom Brady is able to do. Um, I was, I'm a former Tom Brady hater, but he's just broken me so many times that I just have to appreciate his greatness now. And Last night, just 
<laughs> I don't I don't know if he's ever going to stop. <laughs> this could be going for another five to ten years. I'm I'm going to be fifty, and Brady's still going to be out there, and it's going to be like I'm going to be telling my kids, yeah, I remember when I was. Uh, 14 when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl and he's going for like his 20th ring or some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, he's on stage. Yep. I got one more in me. He's just making out with his son right now. Just getting more of that youth. Just he's, harnessing he, it. If there's the any, if there's any credence to the conspiracy theory that the Democrats are running a child sex ring and <laughs> sucking the adrenochrome out of blood, out of the blood of children to keep themselves young. It's not Nancy Pelosi because Nancy Pelosi looks like a fucking looks like a looks like a half melted face from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Looks like someone paused the opening paused paused one of the Nazis' faces after they opened the ark in Indiana what? Jones. I mean the the case study for that is fucking Tom Brady. I've never seen anybody age so gracefully ever. I mean, I'm sure there's been assistance from some uh, doctors, but yeah, maybe there is something to this. I, what do you call it? Indrachrome? In, Adrenochrome. Adrenochrome, uh, yeah. Maybe you can, you can ask our friend Hank Steeler about it. I'm sure that. he'll be happy to, I'm sure he'll be happy to hit you up with all the, all the inside info on, on the Democrat child sex ring. The Super Bowl was pre-recorded. You are watching a movie. I would love a live camera on him just watching the news one night. Like, it's like, it's like, a, I remember when like the show Westworld first came out and everybody had like their conspiracy theories of what actually is it? What's going on? That's, that's like Hank in real life. He's trying to figure like the sky's blue. What does that mean? Have you ever, there's, um, there's actually a show in Britain called, it's called like, Google Google box or whatever. But I I heard about it on last week tonight with John Oliver. It's, it's a show where they just put a camera in a family's living room and like record them watching the news and talking about it. Hmm. Interesting. Listening, listening to someone try to explain QAnon would be fucking hilarious because I'm a, like a, I'm deep on this QAnon. I'm deep on this QAnon shit. And now that football season's over and, you know, there's no more gambling pod, I might just start doing like a QAnon. I just might start doing a QAnon podcast where I just like explain QAnon because it's so fucking interesting to me. And it's basically just like, and it's always Jews. I don't like, (laughs) it's always Jews. It's always the Jews. Like, there's never, like, a Buddhist, you know, no one ever says, like, Buddhists control the weather. You know what I mean? <laughs> Marjorie Taylor-esque here. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying that it's, I'm not saying that it's true. I'm just saying, like, every conspiracy theory boils down to the Jews are doing it. <laughs> and, honestly, that's a... It's not a bad marketing strategy. Like if if the Jews are actually like if they started these own rumors about themselves, like makes Jews sound pretty, pretty cool. Good marketing. Yeah, yeah. Come join yeah, Judaism. Come join Judaism and run Hollywood. What a pitch! <laughs> yeah, we can laser cities. 
It just brings me back to South Park, like the the gold around the neck. <laughs> the Jew gold. We should get. We should go, Cam. Uh, <laughs> your Jew gold. Uh, what'd you guys think of the weekend? What'd you guys think of his halftime performance? I, you know what? I really liked it. I think that the audio was kind of it was off in the beginning. So I think that the music yeah. was louder than because the weekend he he does everything live. So I think that the audio was an issue. But I think the second half of it was absolutely phenomenal. I loved how we went to like House of Balloons to Blinding Lights. I thought that was phenomenal. And then I saw a video earlier, people describing how he's been in like this character for months now, leading up to the Super Bowl. He's wearing like that red coat everywhere. And then obviously it's in his music videos, he's trying to build his persona up. And then it kind of culminated last night with his performance. Um, I, I think he's super, I loved the weekend. I thought it was really good. And based off of the limitations of his performance due to COVID, I thought he did a really good job. And he's definitely somebody that uh, next time he comes to Detroit, I think it's July 2022. I'll I'll be there. Yeah, yeah I was just trolling with uh, the mm-hmm. bacon. <laughs> sure you were. Sure you I, were. I thought it could have been better, but I, I really love Blinding Lights, and I'm just like one of those people who yells free bird. You know, like, I'm just like, where's blinding lights? That's what I want to see. Um, yeah, I think it was a little different, and uh, it, it would have been different if it weren't COVID. And I was going to make a joke that he should have been wearing a mask, but, um, you know, that's just – that's. I don't think anyone was in Tampa last night <laughs> um, with how full that – I know the team – I know there were cardboard cutouts, but that looked like a pretty full stadium. And, uh, yeah – Weekend's great. Like the, I love the performance that he did in New York City, like on that skyscraper, like what last summer. Yeah, for the we BMAs. were talking about it. Um, I really love that. Like he just does crazy shit, and like the album cover with his bloody nose and all that shit. I'm just like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? But it's just like you gotta, you, you can't stop looking at it. You can't stop paying attention to him. But he did, he did really well considering there were people that didn't want there to be a Super Bowl. Or didn't think there should be one. He did a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, he just had such a meteoric rise to where he is. I mean, it would just probably be like seven, eight years ago where he first kind of came out of the scene and then to be performing at the Super Bowl. And he's, I mean, he's Canadian, so he doesn't like, I don't really know his ties to it in terms of if you watch, I don't know if Canadians watch it growing up. I don't know if it's like whatever it is to them. But Super Bowl. yeah, I mean, he was he, he was super amped about it, like kind of going through his Twitter leading up to it, and even like this morning, he was he was all in. So I I thought it was phenomenal. Um, I think it's the Super Bowl halftime show is like always really special. Just like that one moment, everybody's kind of like just watching something and just enjoying it. So um, I know there's a few artists in the future I definitely want to see uh, Kanye West, but like I just it's such a cool thing. Like that's gonna be like the culmination of all your goals. You get to perform at the Super Bowl. Like it doesn't get really much bigger than that, right? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the weekend. Um, I I tweeted last night. I liked when all of his songs were about coke, instead of now <laughs> where only like a quarter of his songs are about doing coke. Um, it's a little <laughs> diluted, but no, I thought I thought NFL Productions honestly did him a little dirty with like how they how they recorded how they recorded the performance. It sounded real washed out at points. 
and it sounded like they like the mic wasn't plugged into the audio mixing on the broadcast. Like it sounds like they were just trying to capture a live microphone. So I think NFL Productions kind of kind of did them dirty with the with the production of the of the performance. But yeah, I I, I love the weekend. You know, I'm a big fan of you know all the way back to trilogy. You know, and even before that with the mixtapes. So, hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen. The, the weekend. weekend. That's that's pretty cool. It's it's Ooh. a great. <laughs> that's a great. Who's right your guys' like? Who's your guys' like dream performer for the Super Bowl coming up? Anybody who hasn't done it. Well, we know we like know Spartan Dogs. No, nah, yeah, I mean, you <laughs> know hey, what? I, she, uh, she would do a really good job. Yeah, fuck you, man. Halsey's great live, Dick. No, I I knew I knew I knew it. I didn't. I will jump. Yet. I will jump through this computer screen and fuck you up. Don't <laughs> I'll break your dishwasher again, even yeah, more. Go for it. I don't care at this point. I just want to office face that piece of shit. Um, <laughs> have the have the food fighters done it? Uh no. No. I'd put them. I mean, my dream is nine inch nails, but no one is gonna I mean, people know their songs only through Johnny Cash and like Trent maybe knowing Trent Reznor. I'm not gonna put him, but I would It'd be odd. Did has Kanye ever done one? No, no. I don't even think he's ever come out at one. I'd go Foo Fighters, Jay Z, just because of that uh, song he did with his wife. The, uh, you know, I don't need the Super Bowl. We're already filling NFL stadiums every night. Um, and Kanye. Those would be my three dream ones. Jay Jay and Kanye would be pretty cool, even though I don't think it ever happened. Who was in Paris, Lucas? Ask Greg Henson. <laughs> Whew. Swish. That was, that was a good one. But no, those, those would be my uh, top three. I'd love, I'd love to see Dave Roll shredding it in, in Miami or Tampa, where the fuck it's going to be. L.A. Uh, yes. Isn't it? It's in L.A. next year. It's yep. in L.A. next year. So I bet, and it's, and it's, oh, fuck. Please be normal. <laughs> so I, I bet they're, gonna be. I bet they're going to go. Yeah, I'm, I bet I bet it's going to be balls to the wall. I bet the halftime show is going to be fucking crazy next year, just because it's already in LA, right? And it's you know you can, you can literally call up like a musician, like say say it's the Foo Fighters, they could be like, hey, we want to get this band out with us, and they're probably in LA, so it's like, yeah, I'll make the drive out to uh, oh Inglewood, you know, I'll, I'll go out to Old SoFi, why not? Fucking the the Vince Lombardi hologram technology was a test for next year when they do the Kurt Cobain hologram for when they uh, for when they reunite Nirvana and do Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> okay, that'd be pretty fucking fire. I would love it. Of me, like you know, like I, I made fun of when I went to see Nine Snails live for the first time. I saw like two old guys in their like turtlenecks with like Pretty Hate Machine 1989 tour t-shirts i'm like fuck that's me now and that's that's what i'll be if, if i fucking see nirvana come out on stage with a hologram that, that reminds me of south park when they did the the hologram holidays with uh him and um i think they did michael jackson and all that yeah that... mr jefferson mr jeff no that's it now yeah, it was uh, a good, it was a good it was a good good halftime show, better than the game. And I'm not saying it because Tom Brady broke my spirit again. I'm just saying it because the game it was an interesting first half because it's like the Chiefs have been down 
so much, but like this was just the one team you can't fucking do it against. And I said it last week. This is the one team you can't fucking do it against. And they did it. Like they just they had they just dropped the spaghetti all over the all over the field. No, I I think you're right, Lucas. Uh, Romo said something similar. He you know he said you know they they go down all the time, but it it felt different. You know. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was a different kind of deficit than what it was last year in the Super Bowl or even throughout all the playoffs, even. Right. Like at four at 14 to three, you kind of felt like, uh-oh. Like when, when Gronk got that second straight touchdown, you're like, oh man, I, I, I just kind of had that feeling like I don't think this is gonna work. Or to quote Tony Romo, I don't know, Jim. Jim looks like a cramp. I thought I thought Romo was fine last night. There are people shitting on him. Like I think he was okay. I love. You know what? Hot take. I love Romo. I love Romo. Do. I think. I think he's great. I think he adds like a. He adds like a certain dimension to the game. That I think like he was out. Like he was a very. He was very smart as a player. I mean, he was a very smart quarterback, and I think having that knowledge in the booth is is very cool. Um, but. You know what was the coolest part about last night? Hmm. The return of the slime zone. <laughs> oh God! Yes, when guys, they moved to that at halftime. Oh, do you guys know that they were actually considering doing a Super Bowl broadcast on Nick? They were going to do a Nickelodeon it. Super Bowl broadcast, but they backed out of it. They backed off of it. Uh, see, I thought they did when they were doing the slime at halftime. I'm like, wait, is this game on Nickelodeon too? <laughs> It kind of made you think for a sec. So, Ugh. next year or next time CBS has it or whatever it's going to be called, whoever is going to have the Super Bowl, who knows? It's probably going to be on fucking Apple TV Plus in three years. Who the fuck knows? Uh, it'll be the Ted Lasso halftime show presented by. Uh, <laughs> I got to watch that show still. It's good. It's good. Amazing. I gotta, I gotta watch it. I have, uh, I do have an Apple TV Plus subscription, so I will uh, watch it. Speaking of speaking of TV shows, Brett, uh, you're watching Wandavision. Are you caught up? Are you are you recent? No, where are you? No, at? I've only watched I've only watched one episode. Okay, okay. so I love it. What do you love about it? I'm curious because Luke, knowing what Lucas and I know, who buddy. Um, you know, I, I'm curious, you know, if you're in on one episode, I'm curious, you know, like what, what you're in on. Yeah. Not to sound like a boomer, but growing up, like I always used to watch, like, I, I used to really like uh, TV land shows like mm-hmm. uh, Gilligan's Island, like Brady Bunch. Uh, yeah. I love Lucy. So yeah. kind of seeing like a black and white, I know it's not going to be black and white the whole time, or at least I don't think it is, but uh, just kind of seeing that and kind of like the, the retro feeling of that. I, it was just like, it's just like feel good vibes. It's kind of like when you first watch stranger things and you got like that old, like eighties classic feel to it. I kind of get like that, but with like older shows, probably from like fifties or sixties. Um, I like how they're kind of setting everything up and uh, just kind of uh, get prepared for exactly what's to come. I think, based off of kind of the reviews I've seen from uh, Twitter, from you guys, as well as uh, the timeline in general, uh, I'm, I'm expecting some really cool things. So I'm trying to, I, part of me wants to just binge it, but at the same time, I want to just like soak it in a little bit and let it like simmer and 
Just make sure I don't rush through this thing. I love it. I, I would, love it. I would, this is just from me. I would, I would get caught up. Yeah. Uh, because as soon as WandaVision ends, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to start. So when, when do the new uh, episodes come out? March, Fridays. Okay. Fridays at 3 a.m. Eastern. So, so same drop schedule as as an as Netflix. I'm not real waiting. shorten hours. Yeah, real. Yeah, they drop during real shorten hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you want to get caught up because knowing how active we are on Twitter, you're gonna get spoiled. It's and, just gonna inadvertently happen. And there are already leaks floating. Ooh, I'm gonna for look. the for the rest of the season. So if you know, just I would I would get caught up ASAP. You know, I would try to get caught up before the new before episode six on episode six this week. I can do that for sure. Because even because I watched the I watched I watched the episodes at night with my parents, and even trying to avoid spoilers for the day is difficult. So, like trying to avoid spoilers, for, you know, if you're weeks behind, you're, you know, you're you're in a minefield. So I would I would definitely try to get recent. Mm-hmm. Um, shorter show today, but good. Shorter, but good. Yeah. Uh, Lucas, I'm joining you and Cassie on the weekly Whitney next week to discuss uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I can't wait to watch that movie, man. I can't wait for that. Yeah. I I think I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna make you guys do it, but I think I'm gonna double feature it with Malcolm X because that's also on HBO Max. That's on our watch list for HBO Max, so maybe we'll maybe we'll do that too. So I, I think it'll be an interesting, I think that's an interesting double, fe- I think that would make an interesting double feature. Hmm, I um, like it. And then I think I'm also going to try and go back and rewatch the Black Panther scenes from Forrest Gump, uh, even if it's on <laughs> YouTube. Sorry for ruining your Black Panther party. party. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I, I, I rewatched Trial of the Chicago 7 over the weekend, so which does have Fred Hampton in it. So that was an interesting, you know, I think I'm trying to create an interesting like axis of axis or reference for. It's good. That's smart. Um, a, a movie for those to avoid. If you have HBO max is the little things don't watch it. It's so boring. It's so boring. It shouldn't stink. It should not suck. Look at that cast. It should not suck. But I think Rami Malek is just too weird to be that detective. No, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was waiting for him to be the killer the whole fucking movie. Yeah, and it's just like, it's just very straightforward. It's like a poor man seven. And it's like, it, it, this is what like a fan would would want to do to write like a more tame seven, in my opinion. It, I, I, uh, I said this somewhere else. I said it on the LCB subreddit. But it just kind of felt like Denzel and Leto were like pushing a lawnmower that was almost out of gas. <laughs> you know how you're low on gas on a lawnmower and it like starts to sputter? Yeah. And like you're like, all right, I have like two passes left. Like, can I make it? And, and then you just... have more passes than you think. And then it's like, oh, it's just going to keep going. Right. So that's that's what it felt like because Denzel is legitimately, I mean, Denzel's legitimately good at anything he does, but. Are you are you gonna watch Malcolm and Marie? I it's on it's on the list. I gotta find I gotta carve out the time to watch it. I do because I do like Sam Levinson. I love Euphoria. I love Zendaya. I love John David Washington. 
I should former, love it. Former St. Louis Ram, John David Washington. That's correct. And Ballers alumni. Um, oh, yeah. Ricky Jarrett. Ricky Jarrett. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to say skip the little things unless you are truly – unless you are like, I need to watch something new. And it needs to have Denz um, – if you watch anything Denzel's ever been in, you've seen a lot of crap, so you can probably withstand the little things. Training day. Training day. Yeah. But... I'm going to be playing basketball in Pelican Bay. <laughs> <laughs> can I just, real quick, Xander yeah. voice. Sam Van Gundy should not be coaching the Pelicans. He should be in Pelican Bay. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Disaster. Oh, oh the Van returned. Yeah, he's, it's been a disaster as as Bacon Wire had it first. It, oh. Bacon Wire did have it first on on uh, Stan Van Gundy in New Orleans being a being a being a disaster. Yeah. Uh, so that's it from us this week. We'll be back next week, hopefully in a little bit better tone about MSU basketball. Um, stay tuned to our Twitter feeds for that weekly Whitney episode. And fellas, go green. White. It is the exact White. opposite of honest. Go. Where instead of Lieutenant people actually telling their Johnson. stories, you got a bunch of yeah. millionaire metrosexuals who've never done a hard day's Go work Brady. in their life, Go. but they figured out the Go. words and the Go phrases Kobe. they can use to pander to their audience, and they list the uh, same words out. and phrases off, sort of madly yeah, style in every song. Oh, uh, yeah, and I'm finally going to say it. Actual um, working class people. Tom Brady You know the words, you know the phrases, the phrases like a dirt road, a cold beer, a blue jeans, a red pickup, a rural noun, simple adjective. No shoes, no shirt, no shoes, you didn't hear that. Sort of a mental typo. I walk and talk like a field hand, but the boots I'm wearing cost three grand. I write songs about rotten tractors from the comfort of a private jet. I could sing in Mandarin, you'd still know I'm pandering. Hunting deer, chasing trout, a Bud Light with the logo facing out. Hear that subtle mandolin, that's textbook pandering. I own a private ranch that I rarely use. I don't like dirt. One verse, one chorus in the bag. Now it's time to talk to the ladies. I'm hoping my southern charm offsets all these rapey vibes I'm putting out. Good girl in a straw hat with her arms out in a cornfield. That is a scarecrow. Thought it was a human woman, sorry. A cold night, a cold beer, a cold jean. Strike that last one. I'm whacking you, I hope you're failing me. Subtextually, we go to bed, you doze off. So I take your country girl clothes off. I put my hands on your body. It feels like hey, it's a fucking scarecrow again. My eyes in Mandarin. Fuck your ears, I'm pandering. I write songs for the people who do jobs in the towns that I've never moved to. Legalize gerrymandering. Tolerate my pandering. You got a beautiful mouth, I got a beautiful. Y'all dumb motherfuckers want a key change. Thematically meandering. And 
emphatically pandering. I've got a tight grip on my demo's balls. Say the word truck, they jizz in their overalls. You don't know what land you're in. I'm in the land of pandering. And I'll be up front. I do what I do, cause I'm a total fucking country ball. You know, like that genre.